Good afternoon. Welcome to the Long Live the First Amendment and Free Speech Podcast. Free Press Media Press Inc. sponsors this podcast. I'm Andrew Bouchard. Today I read the case Dubison v. State, 572-SW2D-694, Texas Court of Criminal Appeals, 1978. Friends, get ready for some First Amendment truths coming your way. What did this case that happened in the year I was born discuss? Let's read from the records, friends. It says, quote, These are appeals from convictions for violations of San Antonio Municipal Ordinance 46370, herein referred to as the ordinance. Upon their pleas of not guilty before the court, each appellant was convicted under a different section of the ordinance. Each was assessed a fine of $110. End quote. Any people out there from San Antonio? My mom lives in San Antonio. How about the rest of you? Any relatives from San Antonio? Since I always like to mention to my dear audience, we need to adjust this for inflation. So I plugged in the $100 into the Euro, U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI inflation calculator. And that equals from then today to approximately $387.90. So as I go through reading what happened in this case, ask yourself, does this justify that big of a fine, almost $400 in today's dollars fine? So let's continue. It says, quote, Appellants both contend that the ordinance in its entirety is unconstitutionally overbroad on its face because it sweeps with it within its ambit protective speech and conduct in violation of the First and Fourteenth Amendments. End quote. Good job, appellants. That's what we like to see. We like to see people invoking the First Amendment. And why not the Fourteenth Amendment? It's helped in other cases that we've discussed in this podcast, like Reliable Consultants versus Earl. They invoked the Fourteenth Amendment, and that overturned an important part of Texas Penal Code in regard to obscenity. In this case, they were tried for different things. I've never seen a case quite like that where the two appellants were tried for very different parts of the ordinance, but in the same trial. I have seen other cases where one was an accomplice or their co-defendants, but it's generally the same thing. So let's read what happened. It says, quote, Appellant Rosendahl was convicted under Section 2A of the ordinance, which provides no entertainer or performer employed any establishment in which food or beverage is sold to be consumed upon the premises and wherein a strip or striptease act is conducted or engaged shall mingle therein with any patron or spectator for any purpose. Appellant Dubison was convicted under Section 3A of the ordinance, which provides shall be unlawful in any place of business where food or beverage is sold to be consumed upon the premises for any person who is employed therein any capacity to solicit any patron of such establishment to purchase any article or f- of food or beverage for the one soliciting or for the another employee of such establishment. End quote. Earlier this year, I learned about something called drink solicitation. I never heard of that before. I was reading about, there were some couple bars in Austin that 
according to Austin American Statesman, were shut down by the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission because they engaged in human trafficking. And one of the crimes was also drink solicitation. I never heard that before, so I looked it up. And that's when they sell a drink for a higher price than is usual, much higher price as a roundabout way to get prostitution. That's the way I understand it. But this is not what happened here. It was just selling a drink for, it sounds like, the regular price. And there was nothing to do with prostitution, it sounds like. So, in my book, it's a little odd to criminalize such a thing. As they say, quote, Initially, we are confronted with the issue of the appellant standing to challenge the constitutionality of the ordinance. At a pretrial hearing, the trial court concluded that there was no unconstitutional applica application of the ordinance to appellants. Assuming without deciding that the trial court's conclusion was correct, we hold the appellants nevertheless have standing to challenge the validity of the ordinance in this case. End quote. Earlier it said it was a Class C misdemeanor, which is the lowest level of crime in Texas. Those are things like getting drunk in public, speeding, disorderly conduct. So this educates me because I didn't realize you had pre-trial hearings. I didn't realize it was so elaborate. But maybe it is. I suppose when I had my case in Minnesota, it initially was a misdemeanor, but after the arraignment, then they moved it down to a petty misdemeanor, which is similar to a Class C misdemeanor in Texas. So who knows how that goes. Specifically, what happened? They say, quote, The record reflects that on March 20th, 1976, at approximately 9.30 p.m., Detective Rudy Fuentes of the San Antonio Police Department visited a San Antonio nightclub known as the Casino Strip. After he had been there several minutes, appellant Rosendahl joined Fuentes at his table and the two engaged in general conversation. Shortly thereafter, appellant Dubison, a waitress at the club, approached Fuentes and Rosendahl and asked Fuentes if he would like to buy a lady a drink. Fuentes agreed. Approximately 10 minutes later, after consuming the drink purchased for her by Fuentes, Rosendahl was introduced to the club's patrons by the bartender. She then began performing a dance in a striptease fashion, which culminated her in dancing completely nude before the audience. End quote. So what do you think about all of that? Some people say we shouldn't be prosecuting this type of thing. I've even read cases where judges are apprehensive about such petty offenses, if they're even offenses in the first place. So it makes me wonder. 9.30 p.m., that's some people's... That's late at night, so... Maybe... Those night owls... Cops... Have... That's their way of doing things. Alas, alas... The way the judges see it is the following. They say, quote, The critical issue in the present case is the city's attempt to ban certain speech and conduct across the board in liquor vending as well as non-liquor ending establishments. There is something in this case about how this doesn't apply to the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Board 21st Amendment because of how broad it is. So that's good. We did read some cases in this podcast about the Texas Alcoholic Beverage Commission and obscenity. The judges c continue, they say, quote, within the meaning of the ordinance's definitions of strip and striptease, 
could conceivably follow a variety of productions of acclaimed artistic value ranging from modern interpretations of Shakespeare to the contemporary musical Hair, end quote. That's a great point. I would have never thought of, of invoking that point in this circumstance, but the judges saw that and that helped our cause. So way to go. They also say, quote, In this respect, the ordinance tends to impede the advancement of the arts. Furthermore, we recognize that the artist need to establish a healthy rapport with his patrons in order to improve and refine his created product. Entertainers, like other citizens, are entitled to the fundamental freedoms guaranteed by the First Amendment. End quote. Indeed, we don't want to impede advancement of the arts. The arts rock. I love arts. I love how they improve life. I love creativity. And you do too. That's another great point they make about establishing rapport. Indeed, we don't want to take that away from anybody who's doing a striptease. It sounds like in this case it was rather mild. Some other cases we read about how they're really getting in their face and they're doing lots of things, but in this case it seemed more straightforward. They also say, quote, We conclude that the ordinance in its entirety is overbroad and not subject to a limiting construction. We further conclude that its deterrent effect on legitimate expression and conduct is both real and substantial. End quote. And they also say, quote, We hold only that the present ordinance does not satisfy the rigorous constitutional standards of precision and clarity that apply when government attempts to regulate First Amendment rights. Indeed, these judges have a point. This law sucks. They shouldn't have passed it. It's unfortunate our friends here had to fight it, but I'm glad they did. So they ultimately conclude the following, quote, The judgments are reversed and the prosecutions under this invalid ordinance ordered dismissed, end quote. In these obscenity trials we read, a lot of the time, our friends don't win. Probably most of the time. Probably the vast majority of the time. But sometimes we do win. So we need to cheer. Say, woohoo! Hooray! Awesome! Or whatever you want to cheer. Celebrate this, my friends. Celebrate this, my friends. Celebrate this, my friends. Let us keep fighting the good fight. Because of this, unless they committed heinous offenses... Dubesin and Rosendahl are either in First Amendment heaven or headed toward First Amendment heaven. We don't know their life history. They could have done terrible things that have disqualified them from First Amendment heaven, but let's assume they did not, and let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let us try to be like them. Let us strive for this. Let us aspire to First Amendment heaven. You can do that by fighting obscenity laws and ending up in a court reporter like this. One day it might be 974SW3D103 and it's you versus state. So let's keep fighting, friends. Let's keep fighting the good fight. Let's advance the First Amendment. How will you advance the First Amendment, freedom of speech, and third parties today? Long live the First Amendment and free speech. Goodbye.